During 9-11, Christina Stanton felt they were about to die. So she and her husband said goodbye to each other. They did survive, but in the aftermath when they suffered homelessness, unemployment, and PTSD, they wondered if they would have been better off if they had, in fact, died. When Christina later in life contracted a bad case of COVID, there was a sense of, why me? But she was also in a better place to weather that storm because of what she had survived and thrived after 9-11. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Christina Ray Stanton is an award-winning author of two books and several articles. She is a professional speaker who has appeared on TBN, Fox, CBN, and others. She is a licensed New York City tour guide of 25 years who specializes in 9-11 history. She and her husband founded Loving All Nations, a nonprofit organization that helps the world's poor and marginalized. Welcome, Christina. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. Oh, I'm excited because this is such an appropriate time. I mean, here we are right at September 11th, the 20th anniversary. And I know that you have much to share and also what happened later when you and you, I, I believe it was just you that contracted COVID, not your husband. Is that correct? No, it was my entire family. Your entire family. So we have two very important issues to discuss today. So let's start with your 9-11 story. Especially, yes, now, 20 years later. My husband and I had been married about a year and a half. We were still newlyweds. And we had been looking for an apartment. We'd been kind of bouncing around that first year and a half of marriage. My husband found this wonderful apartment six blocks away from the World Trade Center site. And he was like, you're going to love this apartment. And when I, when I got up there, it was on the 24th floor, I, my jaw dropped. It had a beautiful 300-square-foot terrace that overlooked the Twin Towers. And I love being outside, having an outdoor space. That's very unusual to have such a thing in New York City. And I no felt kidding. like I was on top of the world. Oh, yeah. So we moved in July the 7th, 2001. Our stuff was still in boxes. When uh, on the morning of 9-11, just for some reference, I was 31. My husband was 35. We had just bought a, a dog about six months earlier and uh, ready to, again, take on the world. That morning, my husband came 
and shook me awake and said, something bad has happened. I don't know what's gone on. Let's run onto the terrace. So we ran onto our terrace and we saw flames from either side of the North Tower and we didn't know what had happened. The plane had lodged into the building and hadn't come out the other side. Our view was the other side. So the, the actual facade looked pristine. It's just on either side of the building was flame, were flames and, and, and smoke coming out. So we are just kind of, we're just watching it completely shocked. The noise from the street was amazing when previously, we'd, when we had gone out into the 24th floor on our terrace, we couldn't hear a thing because we were so high up in the air. But it, the collective screaming and the sirens was, was I just, it was shocking. I mean, everything about it was shocking. Yeah. So we were just standing there compl- like, like mummies watching this thing. When all of a sudden over my right hand shoulder, our, the second plane came, went right over our heads, went swooped right in front of us, went into the... Uh, 78th floor, which by the way, if you do the math, you know, uh, between 24th and 78th, it was a a very short, short way between the bottom of that flight and and us and um, went into the the South Tower, blew us back into our apartment. I was knocked unconscious. I woke up to my my dog bouncing, uh, jumping on my torso and I heard my husband yelling different things. It took me a while to kind of collect myself. The first thing I remember him actually saying was, do you want your shoes? And I remember popping up off the floor saying, we got to get out of here in a complete panic. We ran down the 24 flights. My husband had grabbed our dog. I, as soon as I got outside, I kind of, I was, I had 24 flights of <laughs> running down to collect myself. So as soon as I got outside, I realized instantly I have no shoes and I'm in my pajamas. So as soon as uh, <laughs> Brian and Gabriel uh, made it out the, um, the the fire stairwell, I said, okay, let's let's do a do-over. Let's go back to our apartment. Let me get dressed. Then we'll evacuate, but let me get dressed first now that I've got my brain kind of back intact. But even in that amount of time, they wouldn't let us, uh, the doorman wouldn't let us back into our apartment. And they said, I'm sorry, it's just evacuation only. We need the elevators for evacuation. So my husband took off his, his socks. I put on his socks and I realized as we were walking uh, as far away as we possibly could get from the burning twin towers that, you know what, there's a lot of people in their pajamas out here, lots of people in their, in different states of dress, lots of people with ragged clothes that looked like it had been, they had been burnt off or what a lot of people bloodied. I just realized nobody's going to care what I'm wearing or not wearing at this point. So for us, you know, your inner alarm starts ringing when there's danger nearby and it just, your body goes into um, its own autopilot almost against your wishes. No matter. and, and, And ours said, go to battery park. That's as far away as you can get. So we went down to this 25-acre park, which is situated at the very southern tip of Manhattan, and we felt safe there. We thought, well, it's far enough away, even though the Twin Towers are right there looming over the park. You know, these things were massive. They're a quarter mile in the sky, and it wasn't far away. We just kind of felt, well, you know, this is uh, this has got to be kind of a safe area from flying debris, from debris falling. The only thing about that park, though, is it is surrounded by water. It has the East River to the east, the Hudson to the west, and the New York Harbor to the south. And then the north was the destruction and, and the fires of the, of the World Trade Center. But even still, we felt, okay, we're good. Then all of a sudden the ground started rumbling and we didn't know what that was, hmm. but it's just literally collectively every, everybody understood at the same time, 
a tower is coming down, which nobody ever guessed. And so people went crazy because we realized that if the tower fell lengthwise and if it fell south, it would have reached us in the park. Again, these were such tall buildings, you know, the, right. the crumb, you know, the crumbling, it, it, it could have reached us. We all knew that. So people went nutty running around. But the problem with that is we were, we'd run out of land. There was nothing there but but water. Uh, and also instantly uh, smoke kicked up into the air and surrounded us and we couldn't breathe. Dust. Uh, people ask me, you know, did you see the tower fall? Um, and when I say no, uh, they say, well, you must have been too far away. I'm like, it's the opposite. We were too close. So dust kicked up immediately covering the sky. You could not see barely 10 feet in any direction, including up in the sky. So we just heard the rumbling, which sounded like it was getting louder and louder. It literally sounded like it was about to fall upon us. And it was just this chaotic scene. I watched people around me go crazy, thinking that was their last moments on earth. My husband and I did at one point stop and say goodbye to each other. And it was a very sad moment. We kind of just ran around trying to find pockets of air to breathe when all of a sudden, uh, Boats started docking uh, by the water side, and it wasn't even a docking area. A boat would basically come up against the seawall, and people would pitch themselves into the boat, would fill up and, and go away. And I didn't know what was going on. All I know is I want to be in one of those boats. I want to be in just about anything that's going to, I'll take a canoe <laughs> to carry off this island because we are not safe at all. So we did get into a, a queue. Uh, we were uh, we got into a, a, a white New York waterway ferry and were carried over to New Jersey. And we were out of the immediate danger for sure. I, I was so glad to be away from there. So very aware that thousands of people had died and were dying. And it was the, the worst feeling in the world. But once we got in New Jersey, that kind of kicked off like, let's say, a little bit of a part two for us in the sense that you know, our dog got sick right away. He had licked the dust covering his fur, which contained ground up glass, which shredded his insides. We had to put him in the vet. He had oh, between life and death for weeks. We were homeless because when the Twin Towers came down, they registered on the Richter scale as an earthquake. And our building was so close to the attack zone that they had to go around testing these buildings to see if they were structurally sound. And for a long time, we didn't even know if we were going to even have a home to go back to, because if it wasn't structurally sound, then we couldn't even go back to get our things or what have you. So that was an interesting kind of couch surfing was, a, was kind of a new thing for me. And I found it very discombobulating. My husband found out that a good friend of his had died in the North tower, the Cantor Fitzgerald, the company that lost the most employees. And uh, we started, yeah, showing PTSD symptoms immediately unemployed. We both became unemployed in the aftermath. And it was just a it was just a tough rec tough time. And I'm not in any way comparing myself to the people who died that day, the almost three thousand people who died, and the the family members who were left behind. But, um, you know, almost almost as if uh, I want to be kind of an example of one of the many thousands of ripple effects. Of, of how the attacks, you know, uh, affected, you know, thousands of lives uh, of people who, who found themselves around the attack zone. So I have actually a very common story for, for, for literally thousands of people. Um, I, it just doesn't have to be a, happen to be a story of, of somebody who was in the planes or the towers. But, um, but it, it really um, threw us for a loop personally. 
um, as it did for, for, for everybody in the city and everybody in the country. I'm so glad that you shared that story because Ed, there are many stories. We have read the stories. We've seen movies of the stories. Yet our entire lives in our country changed that day. And to hear your story and your survival story and what you have been able to accomplish as a result of what you went through, that to me is what this program Never Ever Give Up Hope is all about. Let's now talk about how it changed you and your husband. Yeah, that is that is a, a great question because it really did change us in every single way. We were, we had, again, we're kind of like we're looking at our future with fresh eyes once we got married. But after 9-11, we took a step back and thought, and, and talk to each other. We did a lot of conversations. We had a lot of conversations about, are we going down the road of, of what's going to lead us to what we want? Because right, we've been doing that. And during 9-11, it just it felt insipid in the aftermath. I mean, I was trying to be an actress on the Broadway stage. I completely lost my confidence after that. I quit. Really? Oh, yeah. It's the only thing I'd ever wanted to be. And I quit. After after that, and I'd, I'd actually had some some good su- some success. I was reevaluating that, and I, I mean I'm, I'm a Broadway lover. I mean so so it's it's nothing against the industry. It's just for me, I, I felt that I'm not sure that that is the way that um, is going to bring fulfillment in my life. And again, lost my confidence. I looked at my religious background, which I have, and I had abandoned that. A long time ago, that was another issue that was on the table now, because I thought, I want to revisit that. Am I really okay with having laid down my faith and moved on from it when I'm ready to ask myself some, some, some harder questions than I've, I've asked myself in the past and would faith be something that could fit into my life or should fit into my life? Is it something I really do believe in? So I feel, I feel I feel like it ushered us into a time period of regrouping, rethinking, tough conversations, and uh, just a real reassessment of is all of our hopes and dreams and aspirations something that uh, we want to keep on, or do we want to change things up? Because nine eleven certainly did. It certainly changed up. Everything that um, we once <laughs> kind of based a, lo- a lot of our a lot of our hope premises of, of what we felt about life, and it, and it shook all that up. So it, it in, in every single way, from health wise to jobs to aspirations and and each other. You know, we were we were we had just gotten married, and we had we'd never seen each other through any kind of uh, challenging situation, and then all of a sudden, nine eleven. <laughs> arrived and that's that's uh, you know how how do you how do you manage a new marriage you know when you've never been challenged with with having 911 between you and uh, you know i for what for instance my ptsd came in the form of i became this manic lady running all over town couldn't sleep shaking my husband was almost never awake he slept wow. for weeks we were kind of locked in our own hells it hard hard to you know, bring each other out of our shells because we had no frame of re- reference of how to do that even within ourselves much less each other so it was a, it was a good period of um, 
regrouping and it really did change everything up. I mean, I look at, at my life, at our lives right now, my, our lives individually and together as a couple and all of our roads lead back to nine 11. It just literally put us down another path, which we never look back from. Really? And how, you know, how way goes to way goes to way. And that's what happened is we just kept following down this path and, uh, we, it's, it's just a very different road than, than before nine 11. How long was it before you went back home? to your apartment so we were we were only out for two weeks in fact I do remember we got an email that said you can go back to your apartment now I remember thinking what (laughs) (laughs) we can go back now okay they're still finding body parts outside the doors of, of, of nearby apartment buildings excuse me for being vulgar but that's exactly what was happening when we were invited back there was a massive fire in the middle of our neighborhood I mean, do you realize the last fire was put out in December, 90 days after the attacks? You know, I'm like, there's a massive fire in our neighborhood. The air quality was was immediately a, a, a huge issue. And all of us who lived on there, no matter what Giuliani or the president or the EPA said, we all knew this can't be right. And so, so we knew that there was issues there. So I just remember not being very happy as much as I didn't like being out of our place mm-hmm, and not having mm-hmm. my own bed to sleep in. I just thought this, this can't be, this can't be healthy. This can't be right. This can't be. So at any rate, uh, but you know, I mean, for lack of, of, of options, we went back and, and yeah, there was, there was part of me that was so glad to be back home and so thankful. Our, 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 the staff who work at our buildings were just, uh, they're just fabulous people. And in a way, I was definitely get, glad to be back in our apartment, but our apartment was completely a wreck. It was um, really unlivable for a while. So we had to get professionally cleaned. I mean, we, until the day we moved, there was always a thin layer of dust uh, when I wake up in the morning, every single morning, covering everything. It was a very precarious place to live, not just in the, the near aftermath of the attacks, but for years after. After that initial attack, my guess is there is an element of fear that came over both you and your husband. How did you deal with that? And how long did it take you to recover from that? Mm, That's a great question. So definitely, it, it, it felt like there was a big bullseye over New York City. It was clear that terrorists wanted to take out this this very large, very populated very important city in the United States. And it, it did feel like there was a big bullseye over over this city. I remember weeks after I was walking down Sixth Avenue and I could hear a an airplane fly overhead and I literally started running. <laughs> oh, I can see that, sure. Running and uh, you know, went and ran into the vestibule of a nearby building. But I, I remember thinking, gosh, it's it's hard to decide whether to stay or to to go because you know, I'm sure that that people with bad intentions would love to to finish the job, really, to 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 wreak more havoc in this in this important American city that I happen to be living in. So yeah, there was a, a, a fear and wanting personal safety, and we did actually go to my hometown in Florida for a short while to gain some equilibrium and to decide really how to move forward. But I have to say the the fear did dissipate after a while. We did go back to the city. We did resume our lives. We and we continue to live there. That uh, 
Whereas I know that that people who are bent on destruction would would love to, to continue that destruction. But I, I can't say that I'm somebody who does live in a fear. I'd like to think that that I, I take all the precautions that are necessary and and then if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. Um, so that's that kind of became a philosophy. Uh, for me that I was able to live with. Thank you for answering that because I think that's a question that probably was on the minds of the listeners as you were as you were sharing. Now we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we want to talk about why it's important to recognize and share today what happened on 9-11. We'll be right back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another. Gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. Appreciate you sharing the story of what happened to you on 9-11 and I hope that this brings some kind of realization with the audience of especially those who are younger and possibly don't even remember this but also it seems like a lot of the things that did happen are are squelched now and we don't we don't talk about it as much and I know that you feel very strongly that this is important so could you tell us why it's important to share this story. You know, there, there's there's really so many reasons. I mean, for one thing, the, the argument can be made that the country lost their innocence that day. I've heard that said a lot hmm. from people um, from, from, from different sectors. Um, the age of terrorism uh, began, arguably, um, from that event. And the depart- things like the, the Department of Homeland Security was uh, was put together in the aftermath. Um, Operation Enduring Freedom, that started that essentially a war. It uh, changed you know, how we are processed through airports and, and uh, the kind of security measures that are, that are taken at attractions. Those are kind of factual things that happened in the aftermath. I think that the American psyche just, just long-term had a had a hard time wrapping their brains around that event. And I think that it was very pivotal for, again, like the, uh, collectively for the American psyche. So we had to, as a country, kind of find our way out of that. Some believe that it actually led to an age of skepticism in, in America. Really? Um, hmm. Yeah, I've read, I've read that, and it, I, I, I found that argument made sense. But, um, you know, just just for me personally, I, I just think that it's just – even 20 years later, of all that's been happening in the world ever since, it is still known as the worst terrorist attack in world history. 20 years later, it is a historical marker since it hasn't been usurped in even these 20 years. It's just, it's, it's part of our history. It's part of world history. It's, it's, a, it's a huge part of American history. It just, it needs to be honored. 
I agree with you 100% and I thank you for sharing that perspective. So let's now talk about your books. Which one would you like to talk about first? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're, they're, they're really both about uh, the two calamities, or let's say near-death experiences in my life. One about 9-11, one about uh, COVID. The 9-11, actually, I, I, I started writing that about 15 years after the attacks because I, I had gained hindsight at that point. And also, so I'm a licensed New York City tour guide. I take thousands of tourists around New York City on a, a daily, weekly, monthly basis every year. And I, I specifically take them to the World Trade Center site quite a bit. And I, I remember kind of doing my own test with each group that I, I take on. I've been a tour guide for so long. I, I wasn't even a tour guide for six years before the attacks. And I would say, hey, you all tell me what you know about 9-11. And so it was, it was almost like my, I like to process what people were hearing about it around the country. And what I found was pretty consistent that it was, it was their knowledge was geared towards the attacks, the towers, terrorism, the rescue workers, and uh, the planes. Uh, but I felt like a lot of people thought that the devastation and destruction was confined to the 16 acres of the World Trade Center site. When I would tell them about the 9-11 boat evacuation, for instance, the largest boat evacuation in history, larger than Dunkirk, maybe one out of a hundred had heard about that. Or even small points, like the fact that, that fires raged until December. The fact that, um, wow. that to this day, they've only identified 60% of the, of the almost 3,000 bodies. There's 40% that they've never found, oh my found word. any remains. And did you know that within this past week, they actually positively identified two more victims oh in all goodness. these years? This is a, like, 9-11 is fluid. It's fluid in our country. Uh, people are dying still of the cancers related to the toxins that was uh, embedded in that dust. That, um, that did you know that we just passed 3,000 people who have died from, from cancers that were caused from 9-11, more than the people who died on that day. It's a, 9-11 is still with us. It is still acting out and acting up and claiming lives. And so when I realized that that either these, these stories were not making the rounds around the United States or just due to age, the 9-11 had become one note and one dimensional, it made me want to kind of put my voice out there to try to keep, the, the memory is alive and active and, and, and to have people realize some of these important points of how 9-11 is still affecting us, New York, and the country. So um, that is my 9-11 book, along with our personal story. And then the COVID book what is about uh, surviving COVID, which I absolutely believe is related to 9-11 and the fact that 9-11 uh, left me with an, a compromised immune system. But the 9-11 book is a little bit more about things that I've, I learned as a result of that particular calamity. The power of prayer is one of them. The power of community and, and going to your community for help because we did that very much so. In, a, in an age when all we have to do is get groceries and medications a phone call away. And so I had to rely back on my community because uh, during the worst of COVID when I had it, I couldn't just dial a number and, and deliveries would appear outside my door. We, I kind of had to do old school and rely on others. And just the blessing of that 
the blessing of people giving and the blessing of, of being a receiver. So it's just a, it's just a few things that I learned um, through that um, uh, calamity that, that really stayed with me. And it was a, it was, it was actually some, some lessons that were, were appropriate in my life that I, I'm glad that I kind of stumbled on them because, you know, when, when prayer during COVID was all I had, I realized it was all I need. Good so, point. So those are my, yeah, those are my two books. I, I received no proceeds from the books. My husband and I uh, formed a nonprofit several years ago that help uh, vulnerable populations overseas. And I uh, had a, a real burden to, to start that nonprofit, mainly through my experience during 9-11. Uh, being homeless, I'd never had that situation before. I found it dehumanizing and discombobulating, and it gave me a, a lifelong passion for refugees and homelessness. Through the years, I've had a real heart for those who are suffering from, let's say, natural disasters. And I, I just, I, I just want to help because, you know, the thing is, is, is my Christian faith tells me to go and do likewise. It tells me that we're supposed to help our fellow man. And that's another thing I, I, I really feel very strongly about 9-11. We are here to remember those 3,000 lives that were terribly cut short. But I also think it's important to remember the heroes that that day produced. Yes, yes. Not just, yes, definitely the firefighters, the rescue workers, but the average person sat up and said, I am going to comfort mm-hmm. my, 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 the humans next to me in the, through this horrible event. So just average uh, people rose to the occasion to, to, to speak into the lives of, of their, their, their fellow man in distress. And I, I just kind of felt like I wanted a nonprofit that was um, that spoke to that and and um, you know helped to raise up uh, heroes, not heroes and us, but um, basically organizations because our nonprofit gives funding to organizations that are helping the the poorest in their communities that often get overlooked by governments or agencies, and I'm just as inspired by the those 9/11 heroes as other people's. Are, are, are angry about the terrorist. And don't get me wrong, not happy about that either. But I, I, I think that focusing on the admiration of all the people who went and did likewise, as the Bible said, is uh, it just it daily refreshes me. And I feel like there is good in this world. We saw that on 9-11. That is an absolutely perfect summary to what you just said throughout the entire uh, broadcast today. I really am grateful that you brought that up because there are no boundaries when it comes to helping one another. And I think that's that's what the message that you're getting here. It doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, what color your skin is, or anything else, what religion you are. You pull together, you unite, you help one another, you see somebody in need, and you do what you can to help them. That is the message that I'm hearing from you. Is oh, that yeah. your message? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I think about when I think about 9-11. I think about, yes, those who were murdered. But yes, those the people who rose up. There, there is, there's even, uh, even people who had nothing to do with the towers um, rushed to the buildings, just like rescue workers, to, to go in and help. And I, 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 I'm telling you, I, I've never been so inspired. There, the the, the uh, tales, the stories are literally endless of people who did uh, kind, kind uh, gestures, large and small, to help their fellow man that day. And you know what? That's, that's what is missing nowadays is kindness. And, and the fact that it, it, it's free. 
it's it's literally free or it can be free if 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 is is just show kindness to somebody who's in pain and aren't we all in pain aren't we all in a broken world whether it's 9-11 or a pandemic or something else that everybody needs encouragement everybody needs help and kindness can be shown in so many ways and it can be shown for free and i'm i'm just constantly motivated and um it's almost like a, like a literally a breath of fresh air when when a kindness is shown to me and when i can show a kindness to others because i feel like at this point that is is what we all need to grasp for is to give and and receive kindnesses because it's running a little low but it doesn't have to and it can start with each one it can start with us i just recently interviewed a man on this show who runs an organization called i spark change and what it, it's exactly what you just said the change no matter how small it is begins with me the change is opening the door for somebody that needs the door to be opened all the way to helping somebody financially or in any other way it's the little things those are the, the things, things yes and that is what is remembered again you said something that I want to reiterate and that is stop focusing on what happened in the negative and right. start focusing right. Right. on right. what good has come and will continue to come as a result of what we went through as a nation, as individuals, as people in this world. And your message is strong in that respect. I appreciate and I'm very grateful for you bringing that up. Anything else you want to say in summary? That You're right. That, that, that is the message. Is It's a day of remembrance. It's a day of hope. And because uh, there is hope there, there's there's and there's hope because because great tragedies can produce great bravery and and great good and great strength, and we we saw we saw both ends. And so when I when I look back today that day, I, I think of I think of the worst and I think of the best of humanity. Really, that should gives us all hope in the future. And you know, I I, I feel like my the faith that that grew my, my Christian faith as a result of that has been a life changer for my husband and I, and that's something that probably wouldn't have gotten awoken or addressed if, if uh, we hadn't had that horrible experience. Not that I wish that horrible experience to have happened for us to have gained that faith. It's just, it just was what happened in the aftermath of, of feeling just completely wayward and, and we had no rock, no foundation. And we were, we were sinking, and uh, our, our faith is, is what's carried us through. And I, I, I have that hope for anybody, especially the young ones nowadays, that have something to anchor yourself to that will outlast you because life is going to be a struggle. And I hope that, that the younger generation doesn't have their own 9-11, their own ground zero. But, but it's pretty much guaranteed that they're going to struggle. They are now, you know, to, to a degree with this yes. pandemic. Life is built on something bigger than yourself and bigger than your own ambition and dreams. And, and I wish for them that um, when they get to a, a struggling place, that they know that they are loved and that they can go to others for help. There's, a, there's communities there. Try not to do this life alone. <laughs> that uh, it's, it's not meant to be lived alone. And, um, and I just, uh, I, again, hope that, that the country doesn't endure a 9-11, but um, when and if it does, or whether it's a 9-11 in our own lives, that, that we have some strength to draw from, from a, from a community that, that, that we found, that each individual has, has found to help them. We all need to ask for help. 
and we all can show kindness. Yes, there are no limits to that, absolutely. And what you said, that trauma really makes us aware of our priorities. Yes. And that too is a huge message. And I thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Christina Stanton, for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. You definitely had that message very loud and clear today. So thank you again for being thank on you, the Carol. show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.